When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is July 26, 2023, and this is episode 370. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll talk about your first place Baltimore Orioles. We'll also discuss your first place Baltimore Orioles. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking this week? I've got some gin, some tonic, some lime, and the appropriate amount of crushed ice. I am also working my way through a gin and tonic this evening, but I I do want to to mention that I took a bit of an adventure last week. Okay. Last week I was on assignment in, uh, we'll call it Northwest... Georgia, Southern Tennessee, and I did a fair amount of drinking my way through um, through that area's local beers. Not all of them were great, but there was a lot of really good stuff out there. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I think my favorite thing that I tried that that seemed somewhat local was the uh, Kaleidoscope Sour. Mm. It uh, it was really good. It was really good, and you know it was a million degrees. I'm proud of you for doing the sour. Time. I'm proud of you. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to grow as a person. I mean, I hear there's this new, like, big local beer in the South right now. It's called Modelo. Um, oh. So apparently it's replaced this thing called Bude Light. Um, so apparently it's extremely popular at this given moment. I, I was in that part of the world. Yeah. Well, I'm glad um, that you explored the small town life um, and that you were able to get out. So um, I tried back. it all. Yeah, you tried it all. <laughs> if you're interested to see what we are drinking on a weekly, hourly, daily basis, Come find us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MEGN8606. And with that, stretch out, get comfortable. It's time for the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. I'm going to listen to your heart fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. It's so When we were checking out what was going on to be able to fill out the medical wing, ooh, this was an adventure. I felt like I was doing homework. I feel like I'm in shoots and ladders here. <laughs> All right. What's wrong with Cedric Mullins? Um, what isn't wrong with Cedric Mullins? Um, so, again, he returns. Um, and then he, he goes out, you know, kind of, you know, gingerly kind of pointing at the hip. And then they're like, well, it's it's a hip situation, and he's going to come back in a few days. And then he's just like, yeah, actually, I, I think I might be back at like by the end of the season. And it's like, what? Um, so, you know, news comes out today that, you know, he's running. He's going to take a few batting practice standpoint, but still no timeline to return. Yikes. But, hey, it's not all bad news. At least we've got Gunner. Oh, yeah. So Gunnar Henderson uh, had some lower back discomfort while running through first base and stretching out to make a play. 
um, and try to you know prevent from getting out is day to day. He says he's going to be back in the lineup on Friday, but Cedric Mullins also indicated that he would be back in the lineup that weekend following his injury. I choose to believe Gunnar Henderson. In my heart, I know he's right. Is that because he's got blonde hair and blue eyes? No. In in my in my orange colored heart, his words mean everything. Austin Hicks is suffering from a hamstring uh, tweak. That looked awful, by the way. No kidding. And and terrible when Cedric Mullins is already out. That looked like Jake English trying to make a play at the Birdland Bash. Like, that awful. No, no, because he actually made the play. He did actually make the play. Well, they said he made the play, but he actually dropped the ball. (laughs) Yeah. He's out. He's out. He's out. Uh, and Aaron Hicks is out. He's on the 10-day IL. He's expected to be activated after his minimum stay. Okay. So, you know, it's not a it's not a Cedric Mullins situation. Yeah. Um, does anybody remember that Michael Gibbons was supposed to pitch for this team? Yeah. We we could have used some middle relief, right? Sure. Yeah, he's he he's been moved to the 60-day IL. I I'm I'm just going to say it. We don't see him this season. We right? don't see him this season. Okay. He's 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 done. Um there's no chance. Um, and you know, speaking of middle relievers, we've got to talk about Dylan Tate and speaking of Dunn, um, who's again been shut down from throwing at this given moment. So yeah, he, he looks done as well. And I don't mean to be glib about that. Like I'm bummed, but I, I did not get a good feel from the start and no, oof. no, you yeah. did. You called that pretty early. Um, and you know, we still have got other, you know, middle relievers like lingering around. You've got Austin Voth. Who? Austin Voth. Who? Um, Individual who's taking over 40-man roster spot. I choose not to remember. So he's beginning his rehab assignment in Sarasota. As of last week, he still exists. Do you still want him on the club? No. Yeah, I think this is what... This is well, what, I say no. I say no. You want Austin Voth and on a playoff team? Let, let's punt this conversation for a little all bit. All right, all right, all right. And then uh, John Means um, threw another bullpen session on Tuesday. So is he getting closer? I don't know, but but this team needs some business. Yeah. And, of course, you know, that's kind of the people that have been up and going. But, you know, Deal Hall still is on a milk carton at this given moment. Um, not pitching for any of the affiliates. Somewhere down in the Florida League doing something um building back velocity um but kind of missing in action as it were yeah weird really weird for an individual who was a top 10 prospect in the organization just to vanish overnight and if the team weren't playing out of their minds i feel like that would be kind of a big deal like that'd be big news i feel like it's probably a bigger deal on the fact that like hey he if you're not going to use him this year Seems like you're going to have to trade him um, on that basis. So I don't know. It's an interesting matter with D.L. Hall. Um, you know, we were talking about Grayson Rodriguez. We were talking about D.L. Hall of kind of, you know, forming this cavalry, as it were, um, for, for the starting rotation. And it certainly looks like D.L. Hall's days um, of being a starting pitcher here are probably over already, which not great. Yikes. I hate to be in that negative, but I think that's the case. I mean, I just hope it's not like a Harvey situation. Stop. I, I uh... Scott, I am leaving the medical wing. I'm walking out the door right now. 
I'm leaving the medical wing. I'm slamming it behind. Good, good day, sir. Good day, sir. Well, with that, let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you kick us off? Our first tweet comes to us from the Baltimore Orioles, who tweet at Orioles and Scott. This one's a doozy. Mm-hmm. This one's near and dear to both of our hearts and both of our loins. The tweet is as follows. Coming to a birdbath near you on Friday, and it is a picture of Adam Jones holding a hose at Camden Yards. Oh, boy. It seems like Adam Jones is coming back on Friday, and he will make a guest Mr. Splash appearance. Jake, are you wet? I will be. I think it's a really cool thing. I mean, outside of the whole aspect where, like, he's going to come back and do the guest splash same thing, also doing that on Mo Gavaday is really cool in my opinion. So he's also going to be catching the first pitch from, um, from Mo's mom. Um, I, I think this is great. Like, I think this is exactly what we as fans have been clamoring for of like reestablish connection to players that really resonate with the fan base. Um, I think Friday is going to be a special day. I, I think this is a slam dunk from an organizational standpoint. And I will also say that I think that Adam Jones and the Orioles are ready to engage again. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there was probably a period of time where maybe it was a little awkward. Yeah. But I think I think they're ready to team up again. Yeah. And uh, all, all great for the Orioles fans. Yeah. It's like that, you know, girl who you know, shunned you in, in high school and then, you know, said, hey, why don't you come out and start for me and, you know, play within my community play? No, no. None, not, none, none of the girls gave me a second chance. No. That's not how high school. Not played. even as an understudy? No. That's a shame. No. All right. This next week comes from Rock Abatko. You know where to find Rock. Tweets as follows: Orioles starting Grayson Rodriguez, Tyler Wells, and Dean Kramer in the upcoming Yankees series. Don't hate it. No. How weird is that? Don't hate it. We're gonna go play a series in New York, and I look at the Orioles starters, and I go, "Okay." Yeah. Can we talk about Grayson Rodriguez again going up against an ace? He is going to go head to head with Garrett Cole, a- and you know what? He's probably going to do okay. We'll see. That that's the weird thing. Is that I haven't been thrilled with Grayson Rodriguez's return to the majors. Like he hasn't really turned in a great performance, but he's been pretty okay. He is building up experience. I I I expect a pretty okay start. Again, yeah. I look at that tweet and I think to myself, could be worse. This this could be a lot worse. Our next tweet comes to us from Orioles player development at O's player dev. Jackson Holiday says goodbye. Major League Baseball's number one prospect collects his first double-A home run. And there's a uh, there's a video to follow. But Jackson Holiday in like nine games, was batting 351, yeah. three doubles and a home run. I think he tacked on another extra base hit tonight. Insane. Insane that he is doing that well. Uh, yeah, the game does not look like it's going too fast for him. He looks like he is... Almost like he's been on a, a, a baseball diamond since the age of like three years old, basically. Remember when Brian Roberts was like, this kid's going to be fine. And we were all like, yeah, whatever guy. Yeah. I keep waiting for him to hit the speed bump. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean, he's gone through a, like a rut, but the rut is like, ah, uh, he hit for 300 this week. Like it's, it's pretty crazy. Is this kid going to be playing in Baltimore next season? Um. Uh, I wouldn't put it past the Orioles. He's cheap. <laughs> Think, j- just bear with me for a moment. Yep. A diamond consisting of Holiday. Yep. Henderson. Yep. Westbrook. Yep. A 
Okay. Holy smokes. Yeah. And and that yeah. And and we know that that means parting with some other players or at least pushing them out of the the starter jobs. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And you've got a plethora of other folks that are just as good. So if Westberg is not the chosen one, it is what it is. Our next tweet comes to us from Stephen Adams. He tweets at Stephen P. Adams, and he took the words right out of my mouth. He tweets as follows, was really looking forward to saying the O's can't lose 100 games this season. We'll have to wait. Yes, yeah. this is the kind of shtick we were ready for here at Bird's Eye View. We were upset that the Orioles lost this game here on the 26th of July. Do I think it derails our season? No. no. Was it a bummer? Yes. But was it a bummer because it robbed me of humor? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that, I mean, there's a lot of good things to talk about. So let's get right into it. Let's go around the bases and uh, talk a bit again about your first place, Baltimore Orioles. here at first base scotty i've just got to say this holy crap this is fun yeah absolutely fun can we can i also say too that we have further solidified our aspect of a lack of insight <laughs> and basis opinions i kept thinking back through this race series and even last week when they were going to the race series and me saying to you on this fine podcast look the girls are like five and a half games out of first place against the Rays. The Rays are too good of a team. The Orioles are not going to catch the Rays. It's just not going to happen, but that's okay. Like you're playing for playoff spots here and you can, you can get into a wild card. Um, but you know, first place, the American league East, it's not going to happen. That's okay. My gosh, how dumb we are. I know. And I was eating it up too. Yeah. I how thought, I thought you were right. We are. Yikes. So the Orioles go in uh, to that four-game series with the Rays, and, I mean, everybody said it. This feels like playoff baseball. Sure. This feels like a, a play. And, you know, it's July. It's early. You're in a dome. But, boy, but boy <laughs> howdy, that was an important series. Yeah. I mean, how critical was it to go in there and get three out of four games? It. I mean, I, I don't know if it was critical is the best way to describe it. Again, I think you, you, when I went into it and I said, okay, it would be really nice to split this series and come out basically where no one is too much up and no one is too too far back, and the Orioles still have the season series lead, as it were, going into um, one more series against the Rays in September. Um, but coming out of it, winning a four-game series in the Trop, which has been you know, tough an, to absolute, an absolute disaster for the Orioles. I mean, yeah. just think back a few years ago, it was the standpoint of like, we won like one game, one game total against the Rays. Um, and we kept saying during those, those seasons, like you can see the talent disparity and you watch those games and you're like, yes, they've got a Yande Diaz. Yes. They have a Wanda Franco, but you're looking at the talent on the clubs and you're like, they're not that far apart. Um, pitching, I still think the Rays have the better pitching sure. standpoint across the board, both in starting pitching and relief pitching. But I said to my, I looked at it and I was like, they're not as far apart as that we're making it out to be when you're watching those games. So absolutely felt like a playoff series. And here's the thing uh, in why it felt like a playoff series. 
you know, Brandon Hyde treated it like a playoff series, you know, basically going to Felix Batista in the situations he did saying, we want you to do multi innings. But so did Kevin Cash. Kevin Cash went to his relief pitchers, his best relief pitchers, and to a certain regard, just did like exactly what the Orioles did. He used and abused them as best as possible, knowing how significant that series was, not just in terms of the games back currently in the playoff standings, but what it does from a potential tiebreaker situation mm-hmm. going forward. So it truly felt like a five-game playoff series where each team was trying to figure out how am I going to win a shortened series in a playoff game? It was absolutely damn the torpedoes time. I mean, it really, it really was. Um, let me ask you this. We ask ourselves all the time, mm-hmm. and Birdland, I think, is having this conversation writ large all the time. Can Brandon Hyde be the manager of a good club? Can Brandon Hyde be the manager of a team that's going to be pushing for the playoffs every year? Can he lead them through the playoffs? Did you see anything in this series that we treated like a playoff series, both on the field and, and on the couches, that made you either think, woof, he's not he's not ready, or, well, you know, maybe we'll be all right? I mean, did you come away with a feeling? Um, Not really, honestly. Like, I just watched it, and I'm like, it's almost like he's got a um, how-to dummies book <laughs> and he's kind of following it and saying, well, that's the way I have to treat this given situation. So, But like, didn't Buck also do that? Yes. I mean, like I said, as much as we love Buck, Buck was very much to the book of like, we're going to do this. My eighth is going to be this. My ninth inning is going to be this. Um, Hyde does a few like weird things. Um you know, there was a there was one game, I think it was Sunday, um, where Baker and Cologne were up throwing in the bullpen for like three innings straight. And I don't personally like that um, because, in essence, it's what Buck has said before. It's dry humping. Um, you know, a few pokes, I posted that on Twitter, a few pokes, it's like, well, they're doing that to basically prevent cash from pinch hitting in these given situations by having Colomb and Baker up at the same time. I think that might be stretching it slightly. I think that Buck, I mean, I think that, uh, that Hyde was like, I'm going to have both of them up in case it gets really bad and I'm just going to go to him. Um, I don't see it as a matter where Cash is like, I'm not going to pull the trigger until Brandon Hyde pulls the trigger. I just don't think that's the case. I, I agree. I, I think that there were a couple of, there are a couple of uh, pinch hitting situations that made me scratch my head during the the series, uh, but I did watch him empty his bench yes. a couple of times in a row in a very interesting way. Where I was like, you know what? Not only is he trying to make sure that he gets every ounce of every you know every drop of offense out of these guys, but he's also setting himself up to be able yeah. to align the defense afterwards. I, I do agree with you about that. And that's one thing that I've seen multiple times in terms of defensive realignments. And again, I think that's also just on the basis of roster construction where the roster is very flexible mm-hmm. on that basis. Mm-hmm. But I would say that we've seen very much more of a national league manager approach um, of knowing how to, in essence, do multiple switches like you would have seen back in the day with a double switch with a pitcher. Um so I do agree that there is that. But again, I don't know if that's like super strategic. I feel like that's more like, all right, I'm going to pinch hit here. And it's more like, you know, playing a game of Stratego rather than, you know, anything that's like 
oh wow, like that's a really bold and gutsy move to make in that in that moment. Still a Muppet of a manager. Yeah. I I agree. Uh, you know, the Orioles just dropped a series here against the Phillies. I, that's disappointing to me. The yeah. games were close. Um, the games were high intensity. I, again, Philadelphia, not a pleasant place to play. I ask you this. I ask you this. Is there anything of a hangover effect from that series with Tampa? It, do you think that there's any amount of the Orioles just having a little less in the tank? Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it comes back to, you know, the Felix situation. We didn't bring Felix into that second game um, because, you know, look how much you used him. Um, and I saw a few people say, well, like, Felix never really got high from a pitch count standpoint. I, I don't buy that because it comes, it comes to the matter of, like, you had to get him up. You had to warm him up. He had to come in in, you know, quick situations. He had to, in essence, throw, go back and sit down, throw again. So, like, my personal opinion is you burned Felix to win the Tampa Bay series. Huge games. And, yes, it would have been nice to have him, um, you know, on, on Tuesday evening. Um, you know, we, theoretically, he would have been available this evening. But, again, the Orioles were not, you know, in the game enough for to bring him in. Um but again, you look at Cano, for example, and Cano has been overworked. And we've, we've talked about this before. Like, you're going to have to start managing innings for Batista and Cano and saying, do I really need him in this situation? The Orioles try to get by with it, and uh, it burnt them on Tuesday. Outside of the Dodgers uh, series, which was bad. With Dodgers series, not fun. Not, yeah. not, not a good look for us. Outside of that, though, Lots, lots has gone well since the All Star break. Won the series against the the Marlins again. They're not nobodies. Mm-hmm. You know, we again beat the the Tampa Bay Rays. Played a very competitive series against a very good Phillies club. I think I think the Orioles are flying high at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think they're playing you know good solid baseball. Um, I think that the biggest concern has to be um, the injury situation compiling and, and mounting is a huge issue yep 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 yep. here's here's another thing that that has been fun for me to, to watch here at first base mount castle has returned yes mount castle has been not only productive yeah but also used properly i agree i'm delighted that he wasn't just thrust back into the starters yep. role no questions asked doesn't matter who's throwing yep. instead he's been used strategically yep and he is delivered. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that is one thing I will give to Brandon Hyde, where I think he's done a really nice job of inserting Mount Castle to build that confidence factor back up. And again, Mount Castle talked about this, where he said, you know, right before I went out with the Virgo situation, he's like, I lost complete confidence because like mm-hmm. I had no clue what was coming in. So I think to get that confidence back, it was a big deal. We talked about it, you know, leading up to his IL assignment. I'm like, he looks completely lost at the plate and the plate discipline is completely gone. Um, and we're starting to see, I wouldn't say a return to great plate discipline, but I would say we've seen him take walks. We've seen him spray the ball to both sides of the field. Um, so there's there's some encouragement there. And I think it's the standpoint of like, if Hyde can continue to put Mountcastle in favorable positions, I mean, that's not going to happen all the time. You're going to have to have him bat against, you know, unfavorable situations. But the more you can kind of build up his confidence, the better off it's going to be. Yeah. We, we've also seen some of the complimentary players carrying things while some of the starters have been hurt. We have talked on and on about Ryan and Heron. Steve Pierce! Doing Steve Pierce 2.0. Steve Pierce! 
But I have I have to say something, Scott. Yeah. I don't like it. It's not going to feel good coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Adam Frazier's been rock solid since the All-Star break. Uh, so I think he's had some really nice clutch hits, is the best way to describe it. And I think he's been doing pretty well. I mean, what's his numbers right now after the All-Star break? After the All-Star break, in the last two weeks. Yeah, uh, that's fine. I've got this on. That's fine. Adam Frazier has a weighted runs created plus of 181. All right, that's better than I had in my head, is the best way to describe it. But you, like I said, if I'm thinking and not looking at the numbers, I'm saying, like, okay, he's had a double here, a double there, um, and some some clutch appearances is the best way, best way to describe it. But I don't think if you were to put $100 on the table and said you need to be within 10 weighted records credit plus of it, then, like, he's at, like, 105 would yeah. have been my guess. Like, he's doing okay, but nothing outlandish but 181 you said 181 and again i think that all goes back to the spots in which he's been used right uh but he's done that over the last two weeks while we've been trying to generate offense from places that that you know other than what we expected and in short bursts that works and in, in this particular short burst it has worked um but you know let's let's round first let's head into second base not everything's been perfect. No. I, I'm super stoked about where this team was, particularly is com- compared to how we went into the All-Star break. But not everything is perfect. So let's let's talk about some of the rough, sto- uh, rough spots. And the first thing I want to mention is that Tyler Wells has had a couple of rough starts after basically being the rock of this starting rotation for the first half. What do you think is going on there? I think he's tired. I mean, I, I posted this on Twitter, and I think everyone else, I think other folks have talked about this too. He is um, above the amount of innings pitched this year than he was last year for the entire season. Uh, I think that Tyler Wells is approaching, you know, maybe another two starts. And then I think you, in essence, have to say, we have to transition him to the bullpen. Like, I just don't see how much longer you can do. He can pitch, he pitched 103 last year. He can pitch maybe 160, 165 this year at most. You're going to have to start like, if you're going to use him in October, which should be the goal now, like you're, Elias has said this, you're getting ready for October now. You're going to have to start saying like, Tyler, you can't start every single game. And, you know, we, we desperately need help in the bullpen. Yeah. Boy, it'd be great to have him. Yep. And it's not like Tyler Wells doesn't have any experience in the bullpen before. Right. Well, let me, let's just transition right to that. The bullpen needs help. Absolutely. Uh, Yenir Cano is overworked and has looked mortal. Yep. Right. And beyond Cano and Bautista, everything else has been trash. Yeah. It really, really has. I mean, that's not fair. Cologne has been reliable but also let's, overworked let's call it inconsistent yeah. is the best way to describe it so again it's 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 one of these matters and we saw this tonight with you know cnl perez cnl Perez comes in um and he is you know not great at all like it's just no command no control in the previous two outings great. really nice appearances yeah. i mean cnl went two innings uh in one of those last appearances and looked like cnl perez from from last year and you're like all right well maybe he's figured it out so i think if you look at baker Kalam Perez, it's the inconsistency factor that really kind of bothers me. Um, whereas, you know, you look at Cano and Batista to this point, and it's been extremely consistent through this entire season. So I think that's the big concern, which is like, if you call on somebody in the sixth or seventh inning, are they going to be consistent enough to basically be able to, you know, get you to the next inning? And it's not even about like, we're expecting you to go one, two, three. 
It's more of like, can you get through the inning and not have to have us go to another bullpen arm that we have to blow? Like, I'm okay if you give up a run every once in a while. What I don't want you to do is give up a run and then we have to call a bullpen arm with a runner on first and a runner on third with no outs. Like, that just can't happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Can can you do the job? And the job is passing the right. baton. It's it's the standpoint I'm like, I'm okay with blowing, you know, leads or saves on that basis. Like, that's going to happen. Meltdowns. Yeah, don't also torch the bullpen. Meltdowns can't happen. And that's the big deal, which is like, I think that what we if we went back and looked at it, of Baker, Colom, and Perez we would see a higher degree of meltdowns compared to other middle relievers. Sure. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what you have to say about Shintaro Fujinami, who joined the club. And, uh, you know, certainly more effective later than his original appearance. But what do you think? I I, I want to see more, is the best way to describe it. I, like I said, he's been in three appearances so far. I, I th- There's something there, is the best way to describe it. So... I come back to this. I don't think he is your seventh inning guy in all instances. I don't think he's your eighth inning guy in all instances. But I think that he could be a you know a a good relief pitching thing like a Dylan Tate, for example. Um, but yeah, I want to see more from him. And like I said, there hasn't been anything that I'm like I don't like it. Um, it's it's not bad in, in my opinion. You know, it's interesting because he came in. And we were looking at his numbers, and the command issue was all over the place. And he did have the first start where the command was all over the place. Um, but in the other two appearances, I thought he commanded pretty well, honestly. And, you know, I've, I've heard that the Orioles have asked him to focus on just a few, you know, a couple of pitches out right. of his repertoire. The thing is, if the bridge to the back of your bullpen hits 100, yeah. you're in a good place. Yeah, right? exactly. If if he can hit near the plate, because, you know, look at, look at um, you know, look at the mountain. He... Misses spots. Yep. But he does it at 102. Correct. That place. And he's got movement with that splitter. Right. So again, that it comes back to I'm gonna call, you know, um, you know, Fuji basically a Batista light. It's not quite as good as Batista, but he's got some stuff that I look at and I'm like, that'll play, is the best way to describe it. Like you've got something there from a stuff standpoint that that'll play. It's not gonna be best in the league. Um, but it's certainly serviceable to basically be you know, a late inning arm. I'd say I'd still be targeting him for the sixth and seventh inning, like building him up to that standpoint. But I still think if you look at that, you know, lineup of Baker, Cologne, um, you know, and Perez, it there's, it's still lacking. You need one additional arm there that can be like an arm, like a Fuji that is going to be, is going to be nice. Yep. All right. When we talk about, uh, you know, things that, that maybe haven't been perfect Mm -hmm. since, uh, since the all-star break, Austin Hayes, yeah, offensively has just disappeared. Uh, he drove in a run tonight. That's that's great to see. But again, Cedric Mullins goes out. Austin or Aaron Hicks, who <laughs> had been doing well for the Orioles offensively, which is a weird thing to say. Um, you know, they're both out. You would think that Austin Hayes, the All Star, yeah, might step up. It's and possible. He didn't. I mean, but we got to think about this too. Like Hayes was out that whole week before the All Star game on injury. He comes back, you know, plays in the All-Star game, and then is immediately thrust back in the lineup. I mean, he, in essence, went without playing games there for well over a week, is the best way to describe it. So I don't think that's an excuse, but I do think that maybe, you know, he lost a little plate discipline, and I think he is going to get it back. So I think he was slumping for the two weeks, 
But I don't think I've seen anything from a Hayes standpoint that I'm like, I'm greatly concerned with is the best way to describe it. I think it just, I think he's getting back into the rhythm. Fair enough. And while we're on the topic of uh, non-entities offensively, Westberg and Kowser yeah. brought up from the minors. It's it's unfair to measure them with the same stick that you would an Adley or a Gunner, mm-hmm. right? Let's let's be fair. That is in everybody's everybody has that problem. Sure. That that we just expected all the kids to be all world great. Correct. Right out of the gate. Right. And so Kowser and Westberg are having the more uh usual rookie experience. Correct. Which is being challenged and and it's not as if they're they're nothing Correct. up there but boy howdy that's been it's been pretty spotty they're going through growing pains just like gunner was going through growing pains for the first month of the year and i think the question has to be had of like okay um they're going through growing pains um but is it worthwhile for them to go through these growing pains in the middle of july in order for them to you know enter into late august september and october and I'm not going to say they're going to be gunner-like. I think that's a whole different level. Um, but can they, in essence, be um, useful contributors in the lineup on a daily basis? So I think it has to happen. And, and you know, while they're, again, disappearing offensively, the Orioles are playing 600 ball. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think it's, it's important to note that, you know, so far the, the Orioles have managed to make that work. I do find it interesting, though, that they're here playing the games. Yep. The Orioles are trying to win games. They are playing, you know, quote unquote, playoff games in July. And Kowser is getting uh, at bats because of the injuries in, in the outfield. Yeah. Westberg is getting at bats over guys like Urias and Frazier. Yeah. I mean, that does, I, I do find that surprising. Yeah. But uh, I, I think you're right. It'll, it'll mean all the difference come, come October. So out of all those topics, what concerns you the most going forward? It's got to be. It's got to be the pitching. It's got to be the the bullpen. I think that. Well, there's two for me, and I, I think pitching I, the bullpen is one of the issues. The injuries still concern me at this moment because, again, you look at the Rays, for example, um, and the reason the Rays are scuffling right now is because of injuries. And I wondered to myself, and I said to myself, "Well, the Orioles actually done really well from maintaining a health perspective this entire season." Um, and what I don't want to see are injuries mount up, um, you know, this part of the season, but specifically going into September and October. What I don't want to see is us going into October with a slightly depleted roster. We saw that in 2014 with a slightly depleted roster. And I always think back to that season. I'm like, what would have happened if we had Machado and Davis in that lineup? Yeah. What if? My my hesitation is actually not the injuries. It's I'm beginning to become a little worried about starting pitching. Just the depth standpoint. Yeah, because, you know, when you talk about the injuries, the Orioles from a position player standpoint have the depth. They've Mm -hmm. got deep depth. Yep. Not so in pitching. And you talk about a guy like uh, Tyler Wells needed to take a step back from starting. Who are you going to replace him with? Sure. You know, I mean, we, we might be in a situation in which we're asking Irvin to start again yep. so that we can put Wells back in the bullpen. What happens if Grayson Rodriguez stumbles? Well, but even past the aspect of Grayson stumbling or doing great, Grayson's going to be on a pitch limit too. Like, yeah. let's be honest. Like, Grayson can't go out there and pitch, you know, a ton of innings. So the Orioles have been very really careful on the minors to basically make sure that he's not going, 
too deep into games. But the Orioles are going to also have to watch Grayson to be like, how many games can he do? So Grayson is not a replacement for Tyler Wells straight up. You're you're going to have to kind of mix and match here. And I know a lot of people have called out the standpoint of like, the Orioles are probably going to have to go to a six-man rotation. I agree. The Orioles really are probably going to have to go to a six-man rotation. And, you know, as much as Buck would kill me for this, uh, we're going to probably have to leverage the 40-man roster significantly in September um, to, in essence, conserve those innings. Well, in the, at third base, yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about the trade deadline. Sure. Let's, do, let's, let's do the trade deadline. Well. What do you mean, well? This is a bird's eye view. Yeah? We've got a format. We do the four bases. It's a rule, right? Uh-huh. I'm going to break the rules. I'm going to make a pit stop. Let are you putting a ghost runner at second base? Maybe a short stop. Let's do let's oh. do a short stop. Gotcha. Just a little short stop here. I want to ask a quick question. We just talked about deep depth. Yeah. What comes next? And I don't mean that in the Hamilton way. I was thinking about this. Cowser's mm-hmm. here. Westberg's here. Obviously, we've got Adley and Gunner. It feels like the next wave is here. Mm-hmm. And that got me to thinking. Mm-hmm. What about the next wave? Mm-hmm. Or, the, or I guess what I'm asking about is the next, next wave. Yep. And if you look at the next, next wave. So this is the cavalry. So the next wave is what? I don't know. Infantry? I don't infantry? Know. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Archers! <laughs> to the gates! <laughs> but if, if you look at like the AAA roster, yeah, there's not a whole lot there that excites you. And I think that that happened because we just promoted everybody. Oh, sure. But you look at double A, and obviously, obviously, Jackson Holiday is there, and that's super exciting. But maybe beyond Povich, there, there aren't a lot of, like, household names there, mm-hmm. right? And so we talked about this a little bit off mic, and I think you very intelligently said, well, yeah, we just promoted everybody. So that next, next wave is deeper than that. Sure. Right? We're, we're looking at... Um, Aberdeen, we're looking at Delmarva. Look, I, I get that the farm system is stacked. Yep. Awesome. And I get the fact that some of these names that are not household names will become them. Mm-hmm. You know? But we have we have gotten a lot out of the system. Yeah. There might not be a whole lot of extra help coming. I, I to mean- help at the major league level. I, I I agree to a certain regard on this one standpoint. I mean, if you look at if you're looking right now, like what's the next? I mean, the only other person, well, there's two people I would say. Like the only other people that you could do um, this year, in my opinion, would be Joey Ortiz, which everyone has been claiming for because of the Mateo playing the way he is. And then there are rumblings that they maybe bring up Heston Kerstad in September. Past that. I don't think there's much more you can do this year with your current prospects. Like your prospects are your prospects. Um, and they certainly are some great prospects, but like, that's about it this year. Um, like we desperately need pitching desperately. Drew Rom, you know, came up for a cup of coffee, but he's not going to be the answer to get us, you know, through a a playoff push. So I think Drew Rom is like one of those names that's on the 40 man roster that I was just talking about. That is going to pitch a few starts in September to basically lengthen the rotation. But I certainly don't expect Drew Rahm to be an integral part. Right, to make the, the difference. Uh, to make the difference. I think he is a body, um, but I don't see him as more of just a, 
I, I think back to 2012, Steve Johnson pitched in, in 2012. Like, and it, I think it's one of those situations where it's like, he's important to the final picture, but he's not part of the final picture. The Randy Wolf, if you will. Yes, the Randy Wolf. Uh, okay, so we agree that the next, next wave... You're not, not going to give me a howl? Really? No. Not the Wolfman? No, not happening. You give me a Wolfman Jack? No, <laughs> even more no. <laughs> uh, we, we agree that the, the next, next, the next, next, next wave... Uh, a little further down the, the minors. Can I be honest with you? Sure. I'm just going to bare my soul here yeah. on the microphone. I have been really, really enjoying this season. I've been, I've been really... You're talking about the major leagues. Yeah. I've been okay. really enjoying watching the Baltimore Orioles. I'm going to confess. Mm-hmm. I did not pay a lick of attention to the draft this season. Really? Did not at all. Did not engage. Wow. I philosophically did not engage. Philosophically did not participate. Not even for the first round draft pick. No. You didn't turn it all to MLB just to see what was going on. No. Didn't turn it on ESPN. No. Do you have ESPN still on your channels? No. Okay. No. No. I, I mean, I, I watched them. You know, interview the guy in the booth uh, after he was drafted, and he showed up to Camden Yards and all that kind of. Good. That's great, but like, it's incredible to me what winning baseball will do to your perspective on following. The minors. So I, I think there's that. And I will also kind of throw this caveat on it. And one of the reasons why I I followed the first round draft pick, but after the first round draft pick, I was just like, I'm not going to get into you know watching it. And here's the reason why. Um, I think we have seen um, over the past few years um, that the front office knows a lot more than we do. And the front office obviously knows how to develop talent a lot more um, than we would have ever expected. Um, let's just look at Jackson Holiday. When Jackson Holiday was drafted, we looked at it and said, all right, like, probably not the guy I would have picked. But I understand. Like, he was definitely in the top five. But, like, I, he was probably my fourth individual. I'm like, all right, like, that's cool. Not quite who I would have picked, but whatever. And now you look at it compared to the other top five of that draft, and you're just like, holy sh- what the heck? Like, so at, at this point, I think it's a situation with the draft where I think it's more of a matter of like, yes, good baseball takes it away. But a part of me also just says, I don't need to overanalyze what the Orioles are doing in the draft. I can just trust the process. They'll probably get it right. They're probably going to get it right. The other thing is that, you know, they had what, the 17th pick? This year? That sounds right. That's out of the, the can't miss territory. And because of that, they, um, I'm not going to get started with this. These, this can bring up a lot of really bad memories. Well, do we <laughs> need to go to dark ages baseball really no, quickly with you? No. Uh, how many top 10 picks did we have in the can't miss territory? Yes. yes this is all. You, this is a you are correct. really really bad idea jake okay um this is a really bad idea the orioles are out of the territory of picking from consensus top picks in, at the, at 17 you keep using that word i don't think you know what it means <laughs> i think that was also one of the reasons why i was disengaged uh I need to leave this short stop or else or else I'm afraid you'll throw things. Let's head over to third base. At third base, I want to talk about the trade deadline. We've talked about the holes that the Orioles have. We need pitching. We yep. need pitching. It would not surprise me yep. 
for the Orioles to to you know get another Fuji, right? Get get sure. some more help in the middle innings. Honestly, it would not surprise me to see them go after like a number five starter. You know, like a, a not sexy, but give you some innings, not we, gonna crap the bed starter. All right. Listen, this is this is not sexy talk. <laughs> this is, we're gonna we're gonna put this. No one turns into bird's eye view for this this fist starter talk, okay? Let's get to the heart of the matter. Are we trading for Otani, yes or no? We're gonna truth tr- or truth. We're gonna change we're gonna trade a Jackson Holiday and we're gonna trade Adley Rutschman and we're gonna trade yeah. Do you want, would you want to trade away the future for a Shohei Anatani? And I'm not, and let's say it doesn't involve Jackson Holiday, but let's say it involves a Heston Kerstad, who's number three in your, in your, in, in your prospect rankings. And let's say it takes a Connor Norby, who again is like number 66, I believe right now in the top 100 prospects. So let's say it takes a top 30 prospect, a top 60 prospect. And then let's say we'll throw in another like top 125 prospect and then another top like 200 prospect. Are you willing to do that for two months of Shohei Atani? No. Mm. I mean, if this were one of those like off-season deals where it's like, and we sign him, everyone keeps saying this. Like everyone keeps saying, like two months, no way. I don't know. I don't know. Like it's one of those matters where I look at it and I look at the capital you have, especially in the infielder level, and I'm like, do it, do it. If the offer comes in. You do it. You don't give up Jackson Holiday because he's an untouchable. He's number one prospect in baseball. But I think you know. Let, let's 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 talk about Deal Hall really quickly. I mean, we were we were talking about Deal Hall. Deal Hall was you know a top one hundred prospect. And I was just like, we can't trade Deal Hall. And Deal Hall is probably going to end up as at best a major league baseball relief pitcher. He's going to be like a Hunter Harvey. You have to trade prospects. Like you can't. Hold on to them forever. And the fact of the matter is, you know, we were talking about the Calvary and stuff like that. There's not enough room for a Joey Ortiz and a Connor Norby and a Max Wagner and, you know, all the other infielders we have. You have to start trading people away. So if you've got, I think it was eight prospects in the top 100, you got to start trading away those top 100 prospects at some point. I agree with you. But I not just, for a show. I, I think Otani is too expensive. Too expensive. I think he is. For right. for what we would get for two months, too expensive. So you don't want the James Bond Aston Martin. You want the BMW 5 Series. I would have wanted him in May. Oh. I would have wanted him in April. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I but, don't the, but the Angels weren't going to trade him then. They're probably not going to even trade him this time, honestly. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Which is, which is why I'm not buying. Okay. So we're going to move away from the Aston Martin. Are we going to the BMW or are we going to go to what the Pinto? I'm look. I think it's a nice like Hyundai Elantra is what we need. You're so biased. The car, <laughs> the car that's going to get you there. Uh huh. It's not going to be flashy, yeah. but it's also not going to stick out like a sore thumb in the yeah. parking lot. Like, dear God, what is that thing? That's all. Okay. That's all. That's all that the Orioles need. I think I, I really do. I think that's all they you, need. You think they just need a, a a mode to a destination? Yeah, it doesn't need to be flashy. Just a mode to a destination. Absolutely, Jake. I want the spoiler. I want the sunroof. I want all the flashiness. You've got all the flashiness. You've got all the flashiness elsewhere on the roster. For what the Orioles need, you just need to get by. All right. All right. So you're saying, you know, polish it up, 
put some duct tape on there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just fill the tank a little bit. Just top it off. It doesn't even have to be all the way topped off. Just top it off a little bit. Look, I don't need you to change the oil. I just need you to put more oil in. More frequently. That's all. Burn it all till we get to the playoffs. How many engine problems has your car had? It doesn't matter. <laughs> not, not, not relevant. All right. So you're expecting um, probably a minor addition at best. Um, one that is much more of a, a duct tape or, um, you know, some, 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 some flex tape, basically, um, in order to basically make sure that if there's a hole in the bottom of your boat, that the boat would not sink. Exactly. Gotcha. That's exactly it. And, and to be honest with you, I, I think all that will happen is another reliever. Yep. I think what they really should do yep. is get a, a non-spectacular but dependable starter that they can plug in there yep. and, and hope that that's enough yep. to, to get by. We had this conversation off air many weeks ago, and I'm aware that you're a very old man now. Um, very, very, very. <laughs> you old. mean since that conversation or just in general? Oh, no, just in general. Um, and one of the topics we got into, and this actually comes back to, you know, a, a, comes back to the Chapman conversation. Um, as a fan, are you against the Orioles going and trading for players that have personality issues and or beliefs that don't believe with yours? So we, we, we talked about this briefly. You know, Chapman, obviously not a good guy, like an absolutely horrible human being is the best way to describe it. We talked, and I brought up the question of like, would you go after our Josh Hader, who again, former you know part of the Orioles organization, um, went into the All Star break, and then some people found some you know tweets from high school where he made some you know crass comments specifically about like the LGBTQ community, African American standpoint, um, and then you know I had brought up the conversation of like Marcus Stroman, who you know, didn't directly make anti-Semitic remarks, but certainly dog whistled large enough to basically say stuff like, um, there's a group of people that control the media and are controlling what you are thinking. Um, right after like Kanye made similar comments. So, you know, what's your line in the sand on that basis? Like, do you in essence say, yes, I'm willing to accept the Delman Youngs onto my team or are you saying, no, I really would prefer the Orioles stay away from that? I mean, you know, first and foremost, we don't have any control, right? Well, exactly. But I'm saying, like, if you had a preference. Yeah, if I had my druthers, they would be easy to easy to root for. You know, because that's that's one of the things about. So the, you would have preferred the Orioles not to have gone out and got Delman Young in 2014. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> can I plead the fifth? No, that's not allowed here. Can I plead the 2014th? Absolutely not not allowed. I, I mean, I, I wait would, a second. You are a white man, so you might be able to do it. I so. would prefer <laughs> that my Orioles be fun to root for. I would prefer gotcha. that they be fun humans. Uh, look, the the kids that have come up have just been so so fun. The kids so, have been all right. They've been all right. They've been so fun. I have so much enjoyed listening to uh, Kyle Gibson talk after you know he pitches and the way he he you know, carries himself and, and seems to be a leader in this team. I, I really enjoy you, a lot of the personalities. Do you enjoy like Jordan Westberg, like sliding and catching the ball and Adley coming over and getting so excited and giving a hug and, Absolutely. and, and, and that wholesome content? Absolutely. So if you're asking me, you just love them pulling up a, you know, a dong bong and basically just doing it from the dugout with that wholesome content, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. 
You, to answer your question, I would prefer more wholesome content. More wholesome content. All right. So, folks, um, if you could let us know when the beaver is going to be available, um, you know, maybe Dick Van Dyke. Um, you know, we are looking for uh, in individuals of that candidate. Um, we're looking for individuals from the 1950s and 60s who wear cutoff jeans as a bathing suit, okay? Um, we're looking for that kind of wholesome content, okay? I'm moving into home plate. <laughs> and at home plate, I want to say, Scott, this is simply the least we could do. I want to bring this up again. It is now July. Mm. It is post-All-Star break. And I think that it is somewhat inexcusable for the lease situation at Camden Yards with the Orioles to not be resolved. And look, I don't know who I'm pissed with, mm -hmm. but I'm pissed. Mm. The The lease expires at the end of the year. Mm. The Orioles chose not to agree to a one-time five-year extension before the, uh, the deadline on the 1st of February. John Angelus said that he was really hoping that it would be done by the All-Star break. Sure. But don't worry. Don't worry. Yep. Rob Manfred says he thinks it's going to be fine. Yep. And and when, Rob, when, Rob, have, when has he ever been wrong? Rob's word is good enough for me. Look, the Orioles. If I've listened to enough of the bevies and the <laughs> amount of coin sound effects that Alan Smith brought to the bevies. What the crap, dude? <laughs> oh, so let me. Can, I'm going to take a quick pause on this basis. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if Mr. Smith is listening. At this he's moment. not. Um, but if Mr. Smith is listening. Um, I'm listening to the episode on the way down to the beach with my kids in the car. Uh, and Jake, you did a miraculous job with the editing. Just bravo, bravo. Um, and, the, and, and the sound effect is going off if we, you know, use, um, you know, certain language is the best way to describe it. Uh, and my six-year-old uh, basically continues to hear the sound effect. And she says, Daddy, what's that noise? And I'm like, um... We must have run over something on the roadway. And then the noise goes off again about 10 seconds later. And she says, Daddy, I heard the noise again. And I'm like, yeah, like, don't know what's going on. It must be something with the car. And then 15 seconds later, the noise goes off again. She's like, Daddy, I keep hearing it. Uh, so, Mr. Smith, um, won't someone please think of the children? I think he was about to get an extra life in that podcast. <laughs> um. But the Orioles are pushing for a stadium deal that will involve a, a complex that will ensure year-round revenue. Yeah. Let me just unpack that for a second. Because sure. I want to make... I, I, I know what I'm hearing. Yep. He wants... The Orioles want year-round revenue for the Orioles out of that complex? Yes. Okay. I think there's I think there's more to this. I mean, it's not their building it's, and they're not generating that revenue. Right. But we have to give consideration to how John views himself. John views himself as this aspect of like I want to in essence save this city. Think back to the conversations that he had, you know, with, you know, you know, the scholarship situations like, hey, we're not here to talk about the payroll, we're here to talk about how great I am for giving scholarships to these kids in the city. So the way I look at this is you're absolutely right. He's doing this in order to fund the Orioles in his own pocket. But the other aspect that he's doing is he's looking at it and saying, how do I turn this entire neighborhood environment 
into a mecca going forward for Baltimore City, which will basically serve as the new inner harbor going forward to raise Baltimore City up like a phoenix rising from the ashes. Well, forgive me as a Baltimore... Uh, do you feel the same way though? Like that's the way I look at the situation. Like they've gone out and hired a developing uh, firm basically to do like advisory and stuff like that. It just looks like they're looking at the whole area and saying, what can we do to turn the Camden Yards area into the new inner Harbor? Forgive me. Yeah. But as a, as a property owner yes. in Pigtown, yeah. six blocks from the stadium, yeah. Their job was to win baseball games to do that. For Absolutely. That they have not done their job for a generation. Correct. So don't tell me that this is about Baltimore. This is about lining their pockets. It's partially that, but it's also the situation like they look at it and say, I want to line my pockets and I also want to reinvigorate this area just like Nashville was reinvigorated and basically make a ton of money off of it. It's, all, it's both. I mean, all they would have had to have done, though, to service that goal. You're absolutely right. Would be to not be negligent to this franchise for a generation. You're absolutely right. If you were to win consistently, and again, let's take a look at like the Phillies organization that we've got up there. If you go to the Phillies stadium, you got each of the stadiums back to back to back, just like you have at Camden Yards and Raven Stadium. But again, those areas are constantly filled in because, again, you're putting good product out there. And the town comes and supports them. Now, the Philadelphia metropolitan area is bigger than the Baltimore metropolitan sure. area. I will give them, give them that. But I think this is more of a, a play of like, I want to be a bigger deal. And I want to, in essence, have the Angelos name um, on the area permanently. Um, just like we saw with, you know, Governor Schaefer or Mayor Kurt Schmoke on the inner harbor for years to come. And I think that's what the Angelos family is in essence angling for is they want their name to be synonymous with the area rather than the play on the field. Hmm. It's interesting because I I would think that, you know, and and I completely agree with you. It's complete bull. Yeah. It's complete bull. But, but you would also think that, you know, the politicians involved and, and this is not a political statement, but the politicians involved are desperate to make a statement. You know what I mean? Sure. But again, it it comes back down to, you're right, you know, it's about the money right now, but it's also about, like, if they do that, they have their name permanently attached to it, and then when they sell the club, just think how much more money the Mm. club is worth if you're in a revitalized area of a, you know, given section of town that has, in essence, been, you know, like a new inner harbor area. You know, the, the club is obviously worth, you know, several billion dollars right now. But by doing that, you might add an extra billion dollars to the club on and, that basis. And, you know, rose-colored glasses for a second, all this effort that's being made, you know, you could look at that and say, well, you know, if anything, they're trying to ingrain themselves in the community rather than, you know, prepare themselves to, to head out to Nashville. I, I do think there's an aspect of ingrain. I still think it's the aspect of... This is what they think their legacy is going to be. And I think this is part of what Peter wanted to do, where he wanted to create a legacy. And this is what I think John is wanting to do, where John's like, I want to be a city developer. I want to be a city planner, and I want to revitalize Baltimore, as it were, to basically leave the Angelos name as a permanent establishment. Because once the Angelos family sells, I think they fade into the history books, is the best way to describe it. 
But I think they think, well, if we're able to make something more and in essence create a legacy, people will always remember the Angelus name. Well, they better hurry the crap up because I am <laughs> sick of this lease situation. All right. We've gone all the way around the bases, including a pit stop at short. If they want to buy any property in Pigtown, just contact you. They, they know where to find it. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break and come back for some Fantasy Boss. Gotta keep insisting on the baby. You sure do swing. When it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting on daddy. You are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Oh, yeah. But in the middle of the night, when the moon is shining bright, I got the bar. Good music for you. I don't want to alarm you, Scotty, but I'm on a bit of a roll. Yeah, you're just like the Philadelphia Phillies. You've got two wins. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, we decided that we would roll the dice again and and extend out the competition. Uh, despite being hurt, Aaron Hicks out-ribbied Austin Hayes. Yep. And so I'm, I'm going to take the wins where I can. That is a 7-2 ball game here for Fantasy Boss. I'm I'm hoping we have enough weeks left for me to be meaningful uh, in the... I think we're good, because if we've got August and September, I mean, we've got at least eight weeks there, so there's still a chance. Hey, we might have October baseball. And we still have October baseball, oh, exactly. Uh, October we, we've fantasy got, boss. We've got to come up with rules for October yeah. <laughs> uh, fantasy boss. I think I think that should be, uh, that De- should be exciting. Derek Arnold, you uh, need to adjudicate this. Um, we are looking for <laughs> suggestions um, on, on this matter. But uh, yeah, um, congratulations. So... Uh, you get to pick the category. Go for it. No, no. You get to pick because I won. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm just going to go classic. We're going to go donks and just go and say who is going to have the most amount of dongs, um, you know, upcoming. And that that really begs the question of who's going to be on the field Correct. and who is going to be hitting. Uh, because you look at it right now over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, Anthony Santander has been a little quiet. Yep. Um, you know, Mountcastle, we've talked about a fewer at-bats. Yep. This is this feels weird. Yep. Steve Pierce 2.0. I'm going Ryan, Ryan O'Hare. O'Hare. I like the call. Like I said, he's been absolutely clutch and has had some big home runs. Me personally, I'm going to go with Mr. Quiet. I'm going to go with Anthony Santander. Um, I just feel like he's due. Is yeah. the best way to describe it. Like I feel like he he's he's due at some point. If it's not this week, it's going to happen in the future. So um, I'm going to go Anthony Santander uh, to outdong Ryan O'Hare. All right, there we have Fantasy Boss for this week. Who will own it? And with that, we're going to take a quick break. Step aside when we come back. It'll be time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'll go ahead and get started. My good this week is going to go to Kyle Bradish. Look, I know that he gave up five runs and six and two-thirds innings this evening here against the Philadelphia Phillies, and that was a bummer. But prior to that, he's been really, really good. He's been going deep into games. He has been carrying the baton for a team 
that hasn't had the most effective starters of late. You know, we talked about Tyler Wells struggling. Kyle Gibson had some rough starts. And through all that, Kyle Bradish has been really, really stable. And, uh, you know, everybody is due for a clunker one of these days. I, I've just been really impressed with what I've seen the last few turns around the rotation for, for Bradish. Let me ask you this question because I've been thinking about Bradish a lot. Um, game one playoff series, who are you going to? With current pitchers. I, yeah, I hate to say it. I still think it's Kyle Gibson. Okay. You know, been there, done that in big games. It's not just because he's the quote unquote ace. That's not, that's not what this is about. It's that veteran presence, veteran presence. And Kyle Gibson is somebody I trust when he doesn't have his best stuff Mm -hmm. to give you enough. Yep. And it's not that these, these young guys can't do that, but for game one, I think I get a better chance from, from that. But you know, when you're looking at change of venue and it's like, you know, the first game in a place. Yep. I would absolutely line Bradish up for that. Okay. Uh, my good for this you know week is going to go to Felix Batista. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything to, that can be said. I mean, that that Tampa Bay series, he's been he was absolutely dominant. I'm going to give you the past 14 days. Um, he has appeared in six games, um, seven innings pitched, 15.43 Ks per nine, which is actually a little bit lower than he has been all season. No walks, no home runs. 273 BABIP, um, good for a zero ERA, a 0.28 FIP, and a 0.98 XFIP. Good for, in two weeks period, a 0.5 F war as a reliever. That's pretty, amazing. Pretty good. That's really amazing. So um, Felix Batista has looked great. I mean, he is going to blow saves. He's gonna. It's going to happen. Um, but, man, Felix Batista looked absolutely amazing. Um, in that Tampa Bay series. And, you know, you were talking about trust the process. This guy came out of nowhere. Yeah. This guy came out of nowhere and he's the most dominant closer in baseball. Yep. Crazy. Yeah. All right. My bad this week. You know, I, I hate to do it. My bad this week is going to go to Austin Hayes only for getting cold when the team needed outfielders the most. Look, no hate. You, you, everything you said before about, yeah, but is is true. Is just a bummer timing wise. Hayes has really fallen off at a time where he needed to step up. Yeah. And my bad's going to go to Colton Kowser. You know, we talked about it earlier. He's been cold um, ever since kind of being activated. Um, you know, over the past two weeks, he's 11 for 32. Um, in 080 average, he's posting a 19 weighted runs created plus. Uh, again, it's, it's really bad looking right now. I want to see another 50 or so plate appearances and see what happens. Um, but like I said, it's it's not an absolute disaster. I mean, he's, you know, run into a, a lot of bad luck, you know, and I'll point out the 118 BABIP that he currently has in that period of time. But I look at his walk rate, you know, it's at 15.6%. And I look at his K rate at 28.1%. And I say to myself, that's interesting. And I have seen Kowser take a lot of walks on that basis. So I look at this and I say, he's he doesn't have gunner talent, but I look at it and say, he could be Gunner Light is the best way to describe it. And Gunner Light is interesting to me. So right now, bad. But I think it's something to keep an eye on to see how Kowser progresses over the next few weeks. Are you telling me that you want to see Kowser get moving? I do want to see him moving. My, my ugly this week is not that reference. Uh, but it is simply giving up leads in close games. Mm. Uh I, I will say that I have done a much better job of over the last couple of weeks of not being pissy about it and and 
turning the page, but man, it really sucks losing close games. The Orioles are a good club. They've played a lot of other really good teams. And when it's tight and we lose games by one or two runs where maybe they're out ahead and the bullpen just falls apart or, you know, they, they come back, but just not enough, man, that sucks. And and I feel like the games that we have been losing lately, you know, again, outside of maybe that, that Dodgers series, just some recent really close, tough ones. And that's, that's a bummer. I, I guess, you know, I have to steal myself away here because this is what uh, fans of, of good teams have to deal with. Uh, I'm used to games hurting because they're embarrassing. Yep. And now we're, they're hurting because the games mean something and because we're right there close enough to taste it. Yeah. The obvious ugly has to be Jorge Mateo. I mean, um, let, let's just go quickly through the numbers offensively to begin with. They will be offensive. That's they true. They will be offensive. Let's start in May. Um, in May, he had a uh, 128 average, 165 on base percentage, a negative 18 weighted run screen plus. June, 196 average, 250 on base percentage, 39 weighted runs created plus. And through July, a 143 average, a 200 on base percentage, and a 28 weighted runs created plus. Oof. So that's just awful. Um, that is less offensive performance than we saw from J.J. Hardy um, during the Buckle Up Birds era. Um, and again, defensively, you know, Mateo has come in in late inning situations and not done well. Um, he's bobbled balls. Um, he obviously had the, you know, issues with pulling the ball out of the glove last night. But again, just really sloppy. It doesn't look like he's got the confidence right now of like what his role on the team is going forward. Um, and then again, and you just look at him on the base pass too. You know, he was, you know, pinch run um, and put in, didn't steal a base. There's been sloppy base running throughout the season with a lot of toot blondes on that basis. I just don't know what value Jorge Mateo brings to the table. Again, it's obviously not with the bat. Um, defensively, he looks like, you know, not as a major upgrade compared to what the Orioles have in a Gunder Henderson. Um, so, you know, unless Gunner's injured, that's all you need it for. Um, and then, you know, the other aspect is, you know, it doesn't look like he really has the proficiency um, to be on the base pass. Another one that really bothers me too, and I didn't mention it, the man can't bunt. And that's a huge issue for me. Like, You've got to be able to lay down a bunt, especially as a speedy runner. Um, and that's nothing new for Jorge Mateo. Jorge Mateo has always been a really bad bunter. Uh, I just don't see the role for Jorge Mateo um, going in there. I just, if you insert him as a pinch runner in the seventh or eighth inning, I just don't see it as a major benefit, is the best way to describe it. So I hate it. I mean, I really, I, I like Jorge Mateo. I really want to make, make have it work out for him. I just don't see a place for him on the team. I mean, I look at, you know, what we were talking about from the prospect standpoints. I feel like Joey Ortiz would be a much better bench bat coming off and defensive upgrade if necessary um, at second base or third base or even shortstop in an emergency situation. Um, But I don't see a role for Jorge Mateo. So Mateo gets my ugly. I I really think the Orioles have to start questioning how long are they going to ride with them? And being a, a role player, being a bench player, is a skill in itself. Absolutely. You know, we we always talked about the super sub capabilities of Ryan Flaherty, but Ryan Flaherty could come off the bench and do the job. I I hate to say it, but I think a guy like Ryan McKenna does mm-hmm. a pretty good job of filling that role, yeah. right? Come off the bench, 
do your job, you know, with the exception of dropping one ball, right? Do, do your job at a pretty high level and we can't depend on you to be a starter. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But Mateo can't do that. He, he can't, can't that. come in cold and be at his best. No, he, it looks like he is one of those players that has to consistently play every single day in order to eventually get something out of it. And we saw through May and June, like the consistency is not there of any value. So again, we, we talked about this before, you know, Mateo currently is a negative war player. Good teams do not hold on to negative war players. You in essence say, we're going to get rid of negative war players and we're not going to let it proliferate. So I just don't see um, how Mateo can in essence take up, you know, a, a spot on the 26 man roster. And again, he also takes a, a spot on the 40 man roster. So for example, if you take Mateo off and say we're designated for assignment, Jory Ortiz comes onto the active roster, but you also free up a 40-man roster spot that could be filled by another pitcher or someone else going forward in the future as well. And you kind of think Mateo clears waivers. I don't know, honestly. Like I feel like someone would pick him up, like to say, like, I can I can reinvigorate him. Even if he clears waivers. I don't know what the pathway is him for coming back to the Orioles. Yeah, but I mean, think about how down we were on Cedric Mullins at one point, right? That's that, possible. That guy, you know, brought himself back to an all-star level. We don't need that for Mateo. Sure. I, I mean, that, that's that's possible that, you know, Mateo could, in essence, figure it all out and everything. Mateo is 28 years old. I mean, I'm not saying that he's up there in age. And I hate to say that, like, 28 years old is too old. But <sighs> too old to begin the training? It's tough. I mean, let's be honest. Like, it's tough. I'm not saying that you can't have, you know, a resurgence. I mean, we're seeing that with, like, Ryan O'Hearn in a resurgent aspect in part of his second part of his career. I just think it's really tough. Um, and then again, you, you come to the matter where Jorge Mateo is entering into arbitration next year. It seems like it's time for the Orioles to say, you're going into arbitration next year. We've got a bunch of infield talent. We appreciate the, you know, thanks for your service. Thanks for your services. If we win a ring, you'll be invited back and we'll give you a ring as part of the ring standpoint. We would invite you to the parade, but thanks, but no thanks. Check, check your mail. Don't call us. We'll yeah, call exactly. you. <laughs> and it's a business decision. Yeah. Um, and that's all it is. Like extremely nice guy and everything like that, but it's a business decision. You've got to put the best talent on the field or on the bench. And we have largely been a club the last few years where you could park underperforming players who were nice guys. Yep. Yep. We're not, we're not that club. We're not that club anymore. Exactly. All right. With that, we're going to close out of here. We're going to take a quick break, come back and blow the save. Scott, the team is playing the Philadelphia Phillies. Obviously, there is a lot of talk about the 1983 World Series. It's very relevant to the discussion. But the second largest topic outside of the game actually being played is, of course, cheesesteaks. Mm -hmm. We have been unable to escape the discussion of cheesesteaks on any broadcast. Mm -hmm. We're hearing a lot about cheesesteaks. And so I ask you, as a person who's been to Philly mm-hmm. once or twice. Yep. And that's not even a euphemism. Yep. Are you 
a cheesesteak guy. I am not a cheesesteak guy, but the I am a huge Italian beef guy in Philadelphia. Oh, well, that is interesting. Now, have you done the whole like, you know, uh, Pat's and Gino's cheesesteak? Uh, of course, but yeah. it's they're garbage. <gasps> Whoa. You're going to get us angry, angry fan mail it's here. absolute garbage. Good gravy. But, uh, You've had Italian beef before, right? Yes. And it's, the, it's so much better than a cheesesteak. My, my weakness is chicken cheesesteaks. Okay. That is, that is absolutely my weakness. I, I went to a... I, um, I can tell. You're a John Carroll kid. You would, <laughs> you would like chicken cheesesteaks. I, <laughs> I went to a bachelor party in Philly. Uh, this is many years ago at this point. And we made more poor decisions with our stomachs than we did with alcohol. Yeah, We went to every, all the cheesesteak places you're supposed to go to, we went to in, in like one night and everybody just woke up the next morning praying for death. Um, and I think that that experience has um, colored my, my view of the Philly cheesesteak uh, experience. But I, I will say, I will not miss... Chicken cheesesteak? Really? Oh, yeah. Why? Oh, yeah. Like, what says to you, like, you know what I could go for? Some chopped up chicken. Here's, here's the deal. I want my chicken even drier so this than is, normal. <laughs> no, no, no. This, and this, I'm going to get even more hate mail now. This is the best way to enjoy a chicken cheesesteak. Do you put Old Bay on it? No. I used, to, <laughs> I used to work on Post, right? Yeah. And there was this little place directly off of Post that um, looked like the kind of place that the health department would be at every other day. Yep. And those places, you know, are either going to be terrible or amazing. Mm-hmm. This one was amazing. Um, they made a chicken cheesesteak. And what I would do is I would, uh, you know, it came, came uh, cut in half. I would uh, set one half aside in the fridge. And I would eat the other half, and then I would leave it in there for the next day's lunch. Mm. And the next day, it would come out all, like, congealed and cold and, like, one solid unit. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we're talking, like, chicken cheesesteak with all the toppings, right? Mm -hmm. Like, hots and banana peppers, mushrooms, the whole nine yards. Like, anything you can put on there. But it would come out of the fridge in just, like, one, like, gelatinous glob. Yep. And that is... By far, the way to enjoy chicken cheesesteaks. Listen, I'm not here to judge you. <laughs> yes, you are. That's what you do here. Italian beef, Pisanos. You get the full cuts of meat on it. You get the marinated mushrooms in there. You get the marinated sweet and hot peppers in there. You lay down some super stinky like provolone cheese directly on it. Have it all melted out. And then you've got a hard crusted, uh, you know, roll that has the sesame seeds, but not like the white sesame seeds, but like the toasted sesame seeds on stuff. Mmm, 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 it's so good. That does not sound so terrible. good. So much better than a chicken cheesesteak. Do not, do not besmirch my beloved cheese, chicken cheesesteaks. Well, folks, let us know what you feel like. Are you on team chicken cheesesteak, or are you on team Italian beef? You know the right answer. Let us know on Twitter. <laughs> you know in your hearts what the right answer might be. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birdseyeview is available for download wherever you get your podcast. Spread the show on Apple Podcast, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. You know that we're going to get reviews related to chicken cheese steaks. Yeah. Uh, come get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, the Ticks, the Talks, Threads, and of course, that other bird app where we tweet at. There's no such thing as a bird app anymore. It's the X. The X. At birdseyeviewbal. We are here to be your one source shop of friend connections, messaging, bank applications and everything here at Birds Out View. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fun adieu adieu. Uh, good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go first place O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.